Daniel Kahneman, recipient of the Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences for his seminal work in psychology that challenged the rational model of judgment and decision-making, is one of our most important thinkers. His ideas have a profound and widely regarded impact on many fields, including economics, medicine, and politics. But until now, he has never brought together his many years of research and thinking in one book. In the highly anticipated Thinking Fast and Slow, Kahneman takes us on a groundbreaking tour of the mind and explains the two systems that drive the way we think. System one is fast, intuitive, and emotional. System two is slower, more deliberate, and more logical. Kahneman exposes the extraordinary capabilities and also the faults and biases of fast thinking and reveals the pervasive influence of intuitive impressions on our thoughts and behavior. The impact of loss aversion and overconfidence on corporate strategies, the difficulties of predicting what will make us happy in the future, the challenges of properly framing risks at work and at home, the profound effect of cognitive biases on everything from playing the stock market to planning the next vacation. Each of these can be understood only by knowing how the two systems shape our judgments and decisions. Engaging a reader in a lively conversation about how we think, Kahneman reveals where we can and cannot trust our intuitions and how we can tap into the benefits of slow thinking. He offers practical and enlightening insights into how our choices are made and made in both our businesses and our personal lives and how we can use different techniques to guard against the mental glitches that often get us into trouble. Thinking fast and slow will transform the way you think about thinking. An excerpt taken from the book cover. Book Bash. Welcome to our book club podcast where we pick a book to read each month that we then review. The best part is you can join our book club. Just read the book with us and give your own feedback on the book and our reviews in the comments below. Be warned, if you haven't read the book and you want to listen to the show anyway, there will be spoilers. We choose the book for the next episode at the end of this one. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Yeah. Hello, Internet, and welcome to Book Bash. As the intro told you, this is a podcast where we read a book in our book club and then talk about it uh, after a month. And since this is the first episode, it wouldn't have made sense to just be like, hey, we're going to read this book later. So hopefully you've already read this. And if you haven't, to thanks to the power of the internet, this podcast will be waiting for you once you have. Um, if you really don't want to list, read it, well, you can listen anyway. And hopefully you'll get something out of it. And have a good time. So, yeah, what's this book about? What do you think, Alex? H- have you introduced Alex? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, right. That's a good call. Hosts of the show are me, Josh. Garner. And... Alex. And uh, Alex is a good friend of ours. I know you've recognized probably me and Garner from the podcast Tangent Train. But Alex will be joining us for Book Flash to help sort of round out the opinions on uh, on these on our these reads, so it's not just the usual echo chamber of Garner and me going, oh yeah, we're we're so smart, we agree on everything. Yeah, I mean, not that we're wrong. <laughs> so, but yeah, so we've introduced Alex. Alex is good at reading books, and uh, well, what are you good at, Alex? Reading books, crocheting, gardening, cooking. There we go. You heard it. Using dogs. Lots of dogs. Yeah, and herding dog cats. Something like that. So, yeah, what's this book about? What's what's your opinion of this? A lot of it is just how we think. It's He goes into System 1 and System 2, which is pretty much your fast, intuitive thinking, and System 2, which is your slower, logical, figure-things-out thinking. And how System 1 likes to butt in as much as possible because we're lazy. I actually think um, it's it's worth mentioning that Kahneman himself says that um, System 1 and System 2 are kind of like constructs. They're not like real things per se. System 1 is your brain just... is your intuition, right? What immediately comes to mind. Like how you can quickly do math or how you can immediately recognize a face 
or um, make a snap judgment about something or have a gut feeling. And system two is like your slower thinking. You need to do algebra. You you need to decide, you know, which widgets go into which boxes and so on and that sort of thing. And um, but but at in the end, we're probably going to talk about system one and system two a lot during this podcast. But the listener should know that the guy who wrote the book knows that system one and system two aren't real. Yeah, he uses them as a construct, um, like as uh, uses those constructs as like a metaphor. Um, to be of, of more complicated concepts um, and uses them uh, to, as just example by tools because this book is intended for sort of the layman who doesn't have degrees per se in economics or psychology um, or who haven't also won Nobel Prizes in their fields. Oh, man. <laughs> they just haven't recognized my Nobel Prize in game mastering. Right. That's what's going on. <laughs> I think it should also be noted that System 1 and System 2 is only about a third of the book. He re- references it several times, but then he goes on to his econs and humans, and then the two selves, the experiencing and the um, yeah. remembering self. And he even covers that, I think, more thoroughly in the conclusion, which kind of upset me. But Well, I would also say that in sort of a synopsis of the book, it, it felt me- to me more like, I mean, he pretty much opens up saying that this is a book to build your your language that he wants to build a sort of syntax revolving around these concepts and um and so like each chapter is broken down into these different um sort of like compartmentalized ideas about um a terminology that he's basically coining you know he's like here's this ideas about um um Anchoring, you know, and then he'll tell you what anchoring is and how they figured it out, and then end with like how you should use anchoring in a sentence, you know. No, I actually think this is a great way to explain the book. What is anchoring? So, anchoring was um, a process, and correct me if I'm wrong, my memory could be good. Go ahead, go ahead. So, um, anchoring is the process where if you're trying to say predict in statistics a numerical figure and you're given a basic number figure from the start that that basic number from the start can influence your prediction and it's called an anchoring effect well like a really good example of an anchor is when you go to buy a car Mm -hmm. and you know let's say you start low you say hey you know, I want this car for five thousand, right. and the and the sticker tag says twelve, right? Well, so if the guy tries to give you something far away from five thousand, right, he seems he feels like he, f- he seems unreasonable. But but even that twelve thousand number that you the sticker that you saw on the car is uh-huh. anchoring how much you're trying to negotiate. Right. And I find it interesting that one of the um, unique properties of anchoring in psychology is that it is actually mathematically calculable. (laughs) That they could actually break it down to a math and be like, this is a formula your brain just happens to follow for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, it will anchor only so far off. If if I remember correctly from the book, it's it's about like 30% or so. Uh Your brain tries not to stray too far from that number. What was interesting about anchoring, and and, we're just trying to give you this idea about this book, it's talking about your, your system one, your intuition. What's interesting about anchoring is that a number that had nothing to do with the next question, like let's say you had a survey or whatever, had nothing to do with that, could influence the next number. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so that's pretty much what the book's about. I, 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 think, uh, I think it was a pretty good read overall, um, but we'll get into our overall thoughts near the end here. What did you like about the book, Josh? Um, I actually thought it was incredibly insightful. Um, even when I found myself sort of disagreeing with some of the concepts or the connotations that Kahneman would present, um, I still thought that there was a lot of value in it. Like, I definitely learned some things both about human psychology as well as statistics and economics that I didn't know before. And so um, I've definitely walked away with, uh, with something from this book. Um, 
And I think on a whole, I, I, I pretty much I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, but is there like anything in specific that you liked about it? Um, let me try to remember. It's been a few weeks since we've read the book. Yeah, it has. I use Audible, so I, I crunch through these books pretty quick. And then uh, it takes me a while to sometimes recall. Um, Especially when it's a 20-hour book. Right. It, yeah, it was a long <laughs> book, I'll tell you what. I, I liked it, though. I, you know, just kind of fill in the time here. So one of the things I really liked about it is um, he kind of knew as he was writing this book that you would kind of want to say, nuh-uh, nuh-uh, right? Like, over and over. <laughs> he knew as you would listen to it or you would read the book that he would make some accusation to you. I mean, right at the beginning of the book, he actually tries to kind of trigger you in a way. He like tries to tell you what you're thinking as he reads you a thing or as you listen to it. And um, and then he'll go on to try to prove it. And he does this in the book through various like thought experiments where he will show you um, like a picture. The, the game, the not the game, the, uh, the book came with these uh, pictures. Piece, yeah. And experiments, and you could look at the pictures. And one of the ones that really drove me crazy, and it was, I keep wanting to say, is the Mueller liar. Oh yeah, yeah. And it just shows. I think it's the Mueller liar, and I really hope I'm not butchering this because if you haven't seen it, you should go look it up. It just shows the simple line drawing where one of the lines is just a straight line, and the other one has fins on it. No, and uh, and then there's the third one. The, the fins are inward, and the other one has fins outward on a line. And he just asks you, you know, just briefly look at this. Which one of these lines, the linear line in the center, is longer? And the experiment, just just due to the optical illusion of it, makes it seem like one line is longer than the other. Actually, I'm glad you brought those experiments up because that was one of the things I actually really liked about the book. Um, I felt like they were really good ways to sort of uh, let the reader experience um, the ideas that he's presenting, especially because there's a lot about illusions, and that's one of the ones kind of talking about because the reality is that the lines are both the same length and the direction the fins are facing trick your eye into thinking one is shorter than the other. And um, what's funny is that being an artist, that was one of the experiments that I immediately recognized as being an illusion. I was just like, those lines are the same length, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and right. I could keep reading and sure enough, yep, it's an illusion. And yet, uh, there's other illusions. I don't have a specific example of one, but that were like uh, more word puzzles. And, yeah. And a lot of those ones that were like testing the illusions of your own intuition, and I wouldn't quite meet that. But um, I'd have to say, as somebody who really didn't do any college um, and it does a lot of sort of self-education, I, I was pleased to see that um, a lot of my... Uh, hunches in psychology actually had um, uh, actually had like uh, I'm stumbling my words here just like they had um, they had some merit yeah they had support they had evidence to the to support them um, by actual studies conducted by actual psychologists and so it was kind of nice to have some of that validation I, I tried my hardest and like because I just really liked the experiment side of it where he's talking about, hey, you know, just try to use your intuition quickly. What, what's your first guess? There was a, like like I said, even my favorite aspect was these experiments. There's one later where, uh, and it's also a famous one, I think it's the Linda study or whatever, and it's got the banker gal. And oh, yeah. she, you know, they have two banker gals. And one it has like this protest pass and she is a... Uh, and and she she's got uh, she she was part of like some sort of anti-abortion movement and that sort of thing. And then later they you know like okay you know which is more likely that Linda is a banker or a banker and a feminist? Right. And like people overwhelmingly respond with, well she's got like this protest pass, she's got this other mm -hmm. stuff, so it's more likely that she's a banker and a feminist. And it was. You know, yeah, into my intuitions immediately like, yeah, obviously. Like she's got the stuff. <laughs> she's she does the things that the feminists do, so uh -huh. she's a banger and a feminist. Which 
and then you know, like he just blasts it apart the next second, right? He's yeah, just it's like, like statistically, if you look at it like a Venn diagram, there's this percentage of people that are going to be a banker, this percentage of people that are going to be a feminist, but the smallest percentage is where those two bubbles cross. Yeah. And so it's statistically unlikely that she's going to be both of those things, and rather more likely that she might be either or. Exactly. And, and I mean, it, that should just be obvious. But, right. he, but you know, he's trying to point out um, through all these experiments, and experiments you can do in the book, and I, it's, just, it's the aspect of the book that I just loved, He's just trying to show you yourself, try to convince you, because the whole book, I swear, he could have renamed it, you know, I, I'm going to make you say, nuh-uh. So that's what you, so the, you asked me what I liked about the book, and, and so that's the part that you liked about it? That's my favorite part. And how are you, Alex? Um, I guess what I liked most about the book is seeing where I agreed with some of those and where I actually didn't. Like, a lot of the time he's saying, you know, like the Linda experiment, statistically speaking, this one should be right, and that's what I went with. I didn't go with Linda would be a feminist banker. And with a lot of my anxiety and other issues, I actually found that my system two seems to be overactive. It fights my system one a lot more than it does in a lot of his experiments. And that's really what I liked is taking that personal connection and seeing where it fit and where it didn't. Um, the other thing that I liked was at the end where he did try and bring some of these concepts into everyday language where he had speaking of whatever concept he was about at the end of each chapter um, and really made direct connections to what you might encounter in everyday life and how you should apply that. Yeah, it was really funny because he just used plain language. We actually talked about this just before the podcast, but um, at the end of every chapter, he will use in plain language the way the chapter concept might be used. And they were often things you might hear at a corporate meeting. <laughs> Having been to many corporate meetings, I could tell you, like, it was, they're just so cringeworthingly true. And the worst part is, is sometimes they're right. Like, that's what the chapter was about. That was actually a good use of it. Yeah. And other times, it was scary to hear, like, because he just wrote a chapter about how you should never say that. <laughs> you hear it all the time, right? And so it was pretty crazy. So that was your favorite part, was that he kind of pointed out that... Your, your favorite part was that you, you just like to see this interplay between how it personally affected uh, you... It's kind of interesting because he said, you know, you could not rely on your system to alone. Your your life would be in shambles, yeah. Yeah. more or less. <laughs> so welcome anxiety. <laughs> so it's it's interesting. On one hand, he's like the book seems like he's just bashing the heck out of anyone who uses their intuition. But if you the more you read this book, the more it's like, okay, um, you can't get anything done using System One. One of the things he actually challenges you to do is try walking at a brisk pace. And then, um, just quickly in your head, multiply 23 times 79. And if you don't physically stop to do it, just just feel how hard it is to just multiply that while you're walking. And it's actually interesting, he's done experiments on it, and uh, most people actually just f stop dead in their tracks. They have to physically stop to do the multiplication. He's just trying to show you how hard System 2 is. Yeah, I do think, I do think if uh, Daniel Kahneman is all an example of the psychiatric profession, that probably one of the greatest professional risks in their work is uh, pessimism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, you're right. He spends like the almost the entire book telling you how System One is bad. It doesn't know what it's talking about. It's easily tricked all the time. And System 2 is woefully lazy. Yeah. It will just give up a halfway through an effort to allow the misguided System 1 to take over. And then he'll usually close with like a couple lines of like, but you really need that stuff, man. It's totally natural. Yeah, he also, <laughs> even though he kind of is pessimistic towards it, he ends the book with humans are not illogical. Yeah. We just need to know our limitations and work around that. So, you were stumbling over your words earlier about what you liked about the book, Josh. Oh, I think I covered it. It was it was like I liked that the uh, um certain aspects of the experiments and um 
being able to just notice like where my system two isn't lazy and where it is. Gotcha. I think um, another thing that I really uh, took away from a book that I liked is actually, even though I know it's a construct and it's fake, I actually really like System One, System Two. Yeah. Talking about just intuition versus, hard, you know, like a hard uh, thought, and and that interplay, just actually thinking about, you know, right now, am I actually using, you know, am I making a quick snap judgment or not, and. Um, you know, I actually have been trying to brush up on my calculus, and so I do a little bit of math every day. Every single day. Use Khan Academy, kids. You'll learn your math again. <laughs> and, uh, and so I actually know when System 2, the, in the book, you know, using the book's language, checks out. Like, I will start to do a problem, and I can just be like, I just want an answer. I'll try anything at this <laughs> point. I'll type in anything. I don't even care if I get it wrong. I want... I want this done. I'm tired of the thinking. And um, and it's interesting to just kind of see that, see the, the breaking point where I, you know, System 2 is lazy and doesn't want me to, to do this hard thought anymore. I don't want to spend 30 minutes thinking about a problem. Uh, there's like this part in the middle of the book where he's talking about probabilities, predictions, and he's using a lot of gambling examples. Well, I was listening to the audiobook at work, you know, and I was like, I'm running heavy power equipment. And so there's just a lot of times during those questionnaire periods where my brain is like, nope, yeah. not answering it. When just he, tell me what your point is. When he gets into the econ <laughs> stuff and all the numbers, I mean, I was just listening to it at home, but I ended up skipping a bunch of chapters because I knew that there was no way I was going to get through this if I didn't just skip all the hard crap. Yeah. Because it just got... <laughs> this, is, this is actually a perfect segue for dislikes. And I will have to say, I also am you know, one of those people who used Audible. I used it. I, I listened to the book while doing something else. And um, I actually kind of regret it because while you're listening to the book and someone just like reads you off, just like a list of numbers and you're supposed to be thinking about these numbers. It's like, you know, I had to pause the book constantly to actually decide whether or not I was going to think on the problem. And if it was kind of a complicated one, I could even feel the tension where I'm like, I just don't care. So, um, like, like I had this friend or I actually still have this friend, but I just, I just don't have to deal with this problem as much where, um, they used to be, they'd make a character for a role-playing game. And, you know, as you, the listeners probably know, I do a lot of gaming role-playing games and he would get, his character sheet and he'd be really excited and he, he he might have even made five but then he'd be like hey you want to hear about my character i'd be like yeah let, tell me about it and then he'd pick up the character sheet and he'd just read off the data from it oh yeah front to back i don't know who you're talking about <laughs> and, and i would just be like you know you know what happens with that data it just like washes off me like water I, I it, like it just like splashes onto me. It, none of it comes. None of it soaks in. And there's aspects of this book, listening to it, or even just if you were reading it and just trying to get it done and absorb the information. Um, it's hard to absorb it when this guy's just like. And here's another number experiment. You have ten dollars, and this other guy's got seventeen dollars, and he offers you a bet with a forty nine percent chance of da 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 da. And you're like, what? I actually have to rewind and listen to this again. Oh, yeah. So that was one of my big dislikes. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. I found myself pausing um, to sort of just absorb what he said more than I have with probably any other book. Um, you know, they'd just be like, he'd, he'd talk about a concept. I'd be like, whoa, 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 I gotta, I gotta let that sink, you know? <laughs> and so there's a lot of times where I had to, like, go back and listen to parts over or just to take breaks and let my brain chew on it. I guess I can forgive Kahneman a little bit. I mean, he's trying to talk about a complicated idea, but um, I, I guess just you know, if you haven't read the book and you're listening to this anyways, um, when you read through it, just maybe ask yourself, hey, you know, could this guy have said this more succinctly? In fact, some of the chapters I actually just think he just beats a concept to death. Oh yeah, like he won't drop it, and I'm not sure if it's just because. He sort of knows that you're going to take stabs at him. Um, you know, in academic circles and scientific circles and stuff, it's not uncommon that you write a book, another guy writes a book, which refutes your book. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that he's, you know, this book's not really, like, there, there could be half of the book here that's not really for the layman. It's like, 
trying to argue with his colleagues. <laughs> yeah. right? Trying to tell his colleagues, shut up! Get off my back! But um, I definitely felt like um, many of the chapters could have been half as long. Yeah. Right? He could have just given me two experiments, but not five. Right? And um, that was another thing that I guess I, I didn't like about the book. So I think from, for me, probably my biggest complaint about the book is um, is sort of the hypocrisy that takes place in the lessons of the book. Um, I think it's sort of funny because I, I have to imagine that Daniel Kahneman knew what he was doing in this regard because very early in the book, like the first, um, he breaks the book up into five parts and the first part is teaching you like the basic core concepts of system one and two. And during that, he teaches you about ideas of like um, the halo effect. And the halo effect is where you will end up having a bias favorably, um, or you have a bias either favorably or against somebody depending upon your opinion of them. And so the information about them or from them can be affected by the halo effect. And uh, yet he opens his book with an introduction about his beloved friend who's this charming, funny guy, he tells you, and they have this wonderful working career, and he unfortunately passes away X number of years before the book, and this is sort of their legacy. Basically invoking the halo effect around him and his friend, who he then references throughout the rest of the work, and then at every opportunity, if he's referencing somebody else's work and studies, he will try to relate their relationship to him. Like, oh, we went to the same school together, or we worked on a different project at some point. Trying to extend his halo effect to to support all of his work yeah. and make you susceptible to think like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. I trust him. Yeah, this he sounds other, like an okay guy. <laughs> this other scientist who doesn't got a Nobel Prize, though, is being... Um, He's within the halo of the Nobel Prize guy who's bringing him up in his book. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's it definitely this feeling where he's constantly using the halo effect to and then his own benefit. The other one is um, the framing effect. And a framing effect is similar, but it's more about using like um, basic positive and negatives around a situation or ideas to frame it. And so the fact that he's even attributing, like, he even mentions at the beginning that. You know, most professionals in the field would scoff at his system in one and two as being um, ridiculous because they anthropomorphize the ideas. And so the fact that he's even attributing like positive and negative qualities to these ideas insinuates that there are positive and negatives to it at all. You know, it's not that your system one, um, you know, just makes mistakes sometimes. It's that it's it's a uh, bias and it's fallible you know well, it quickly come is, to a decision too is lazy you know yeah. these are negative connotations applied to concepts that are otherwise sort of just innocuous or innocuous yeah i mean he wants you to be critical about the way you think Right. right, and exactly. Yeah. He's, He's framing, trying to framing you it. to be critical. Framing you to be critical <laughs> about it. You know, j just talking about the framing effect, um, I actually really love the framing effect aspect because I'm so guilty of this all the time. Yes, you are. And I just do this constantly. So one of the examples I gave in the book is, uh, so you, you go in to get a checkup of your doctor, and the doctor says, hey, uh, you have a 90% chance to live. It, everything's going to be fine. If we do you into cancer treatment, 90% chance everything's going to go fine. Cool. Sign me up, Doc. Sounds pretty good. Sounds excellent, even. But then Dr. Garner comes into the room, and you say, so uh, what's it going to look like? And I'm like, well, uh, you got a 10% chance that you're going to croak if we do this. You're going to be dead, 10%. That sounds terrible. Right? But there's actually no difference between you have a 90% chance of everything being fine and a 10% chance of your toast. There's, there's functionally, mathematically, no difference. But I tell you what, uh, the, the, that framing 
where the one guy focuses on the fact that you're screwed, uh-huh. and the other guy's focusing on everything's going to be fine. That aspect of the book and the various thought experience about it um, and framing in general, I just thought was very interesting, and how and how so true it is that people are so risk adverse that that if you actually spell out the risk to them that there's a ten percent, then woo, yeah, no, suddenly they they want out of that, yeah, right. And uh, but if you play up the uh, the positive, how yep, system one takes over and they want right back in on that, and how quickly people can flip flop on that, where they rarely ever actually think about the other way. I just love that aspect of framing, and you know, but as you as you've probably you notice in the book, Kahneman himself, he. Uh, He's constantly framing you. Yeah, constantly. He's yeah. doing it. He's framing you. And so just, I just found it really kind of funny that in a book trying to, um, you know, hone your ability to be critis- critical and to, um, to like, notice and avoid uh, when your biases are being invoked, that he uses those biases to teach you how to find them. And so I don't know if it was just sort of like, Maybe maybe I graduated, you know. Maybe I passed passed the class because I realized that my teacher is doing all the bad things, you know, <laughs> that he's trying to teach us. Um, but at the same time, it just seemed funny to me. But I also think that in a way, there was no other way that he could do it. Humans are biased, no matter what. No matter what we do, no matter what we say, somebody would come up with, "Oh, he's using this effect." Right. To try and teach us, I and especially with the conversational tone, I don't think that there was a way he could have got around that without it being completely dry and factual throughout. Yeah, I'll say as far as like a criticism goes for me, this isn't the harshest criticism I would <laughs> I would deliver. This isn't us like I mean, curb myself, stomping Lantris. <laughs> I myself am, am using the fallacies in my argument against his fallacies. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that's something you didn't like about the book. I mean, I have to ask, you know, since we're we're bitching a little bit, um, what would you have changed about it? I think I would have just made it a little more self-aware. Like, because he does call it out on, like, one or two occasions, but not nearly as much as he is employing them, you know. And I think if he was just a little more transparent, I probably would have felt a little more comfortable about it or not been like, hey, what are you doing here? At the end of every chapter, just say, "Hey, I use this effect to just teach you how this yeah. other effect." Right, is you know, yeah. I mean, just use it as an example case and be like, "By the way, I've been using the halo effect on you, old book." You know, this whole time, you know, what do you really know oh, about this scientist? You. Actually, he's still a scumbag. Maybe he's in jail right now. Maybe you should reread <laughs> it. You know, or something. Um, I think the other thing though that was a little harder for me is he definitely comes down on. I think he gives a lot of weight to luck. Which I, I was just felt myself being naturally adverse to. He actually kind of talks about that, right? Right. Like he doesn't. He, he's just like you. Just you don't like that, you know. And, and, I, <laughs> and I honestly couldn't come up with a, an adequate rebuttal to that. I was just like, you're right. I don't like it. Just stop. <laughs> just shut up, Donovan. Don't talk about your damn luck. Yeah. And then the other one was uh, I really I really laughed a lot during his chapter about optimism. Because he starts off with saying how if you could wish one thing for your kid, wish that they are an optimist, and how all the great, the great successful people in the world were optimists, and then, and then for the rest of the chapter tells you how optimists are the most naive fools in the world, and optimism's really bad. <laughs> I mean, he He's pretty like, much says that. What? I mean, he more like, or less says that it's your optimism doesn't work. Right. And it was like, it was at that point in the book where I'm just like, this guy is such a terrible pessimist. And then the next chapter is titled Optimism. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Call yourself out, man. <laughs> well, I mean, like, what he, what he more or less says is that, like, whenever you look at any sample group, you'll find, like, just essentially the 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 scattered remains of optimists laying everywhere their their destroyed businesses and their failed marriages and their and you'll just find them everywhere there'll just be just this unseen graveyard of optimists if you actually go to look right right and so in one way it's good that they're optimists because they the optimists apparently just don't seem to care and um 
I mean, it's interesting from a perspective. You know, it actually brings up another thing he talks about in this book is um, what what does he call it? All you see, uh, all all you see is all there is. What yeah. you see is all there is. Well, what you yeah, see yeah. is all there is, right? And the idea is that you you can only see. Um, uh, you often don't think about the missing element, yeah. right? Um, I was actually taught this concept in school in biology. They called it the survivor's bias. So, you know, if you blast all of the rodents, uh, um, not the rodents, but the insects of DDT, and now all that is surviving is super resistant bugs. Mm-hmm. If you were the first person to get there and pick up the bugs, you just think they all were naturally super resistant and that there was no such thing as bugs that were not. Right. Um, and so then the, this, this is called a survivor's bias. The surviving bugs are all super resistant. It just turns out like the other 99% are dead. Right. <laughs> right. And this... They're uh, gone now. <laughs> yeah, they're gone. And this survivor's bias, um, it turns out is, is very common for humans where we just, you know, whatever, you know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of um, dead and forgotten restaurants that come and go. But you don't see them anymore. You, you see successful businesses lining the streets, and that um, that survivor's bias. I feel like he, he he tries to point it out, and he does he does a pretty decent job of it. But at the same time, it's hard for him to be like, see, see, it's everywhere because well, all you see is all there is, you know, or what you see is all there is. Sort of, it's true. It's hard to actually point. And be like, look at the graveyard. Yeah. I think he actually explains it better towards the end where he talks about, you know, think about how much you like your car. Well, you like your car a lot. Well, how much do you actually think about your car? You only like your car when yeah. you're thinking about your car, but you don't think about your car very often. Yeah. yeah. You, you, that's the, the remembering self versus the experiencing self mm-hmm. part of the book. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think, yeah, that's a good example of of what you see is all there is. Because, uh, you know, the experiencing self is getting all of the information at, of the moment. But the remembering self has to determine what was important and what wasn't. Which will often um, affect what the experiencing self ends up going through in the future. Because it has to make its decisions based on the information it receives from the remembering self. But the remembering self decides the values. And so things can get a little fuzzy. I think the experiencing them. self decides the values, and remember it was because because here's the thing, right? Like if you experience something at the time, like let's say you're in your car and it's and it's always too slow, or you know the handle doesn't turn right, and you're hating it at that time. Uh-huh. But if your car were gone, your experiencing self would be very unhappy. Right, like you're carless now, and so you actually love the car. You love it. But your experiencing self is constantly telling your remembering self that you fucking hate this car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you don't really hate this car. Right. Right? And so the, the challenges of your experiencing self is constantly telling, ma- making these value judgments. And it's system one. System one saying, hey, um, I like this. I don't like that. You know, my impression of this is that. And, um, and then your remembering self isn't always considering, like, what it'd be like without that thing. Right, that's right. And and so you get into this thing where, you know, all you see, again, right, you, you know, you you often don't consider what's missing. Like, what would it be really be like if you didn't have your car, if you didn't have your house? I mean, you freaking love these things right now. You, you, you definitely want them more than nothing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you might go and complain about it. It's it, you, When you think about it, and he never does this in a book, but, like, just think about, like, your spouse or whatever or your or your girlfriend, you know, maybe you go out drinking and you go talk shit about her or him over and over, and you're constantly complaining about everything they do. Um, and you probably rarely consider that, uh, like, what if they just left you tomorrow? They just left you tomorrow, what that would be like. Like, you would just be devastated, right? Mm-hmm. But your experiencing self is really annoyed with their, you know, they don't do the dishes enough or whatever. Yeah. I think another example that he uses in the book is living in California versus living elsewhere. He talks about um, people who want to move to California think the weather is going to make them happier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it turns out that in every study they've done, the weather just doesn't matter. It's something that's there all the time. Yes, you experience it, but you don't think about it, so it's not something that 
actually changes your overall happiness. You know, when I was in a psych class, uh, they pretty much just said that the human condition is becoming malcontent. And um, what's actually interesting in Kahneman is like, no, you eventually become content with the thing, and now you're malcontent about it. Like, you're just like, you want to do something else now. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just like, well, you know, it's just like, I'm no longer satisfied. You know, the, California doesn't do it. I need California Plus. <laughs> and uh, I actually think this is true. You know, like, um, I play a lot of video games, and there's just definitely just a sequel effect. Like, I, I love... The, the game and, and therefore I want a sequel but why don't I just why am I not just content with the game I had why don't I just like Starcraft Brood War why do I need a Starcraft 2 right and um, I, I think a lot of people who play Starcraft 2 know what I'm talking about like did we need that you think about it <laughs> uh, so I covered what I dislike I feel like we got Josh, he's saying that Kahneman's a hypocrite. Yeah, I think it's my turn. I definitely did not like the economic slant. I know that he got his Nobel Prize in economics, and he talks about it a little bit on that his choice to publish in the economic journal was something that really drove his career. But I think if it was just more psychology and less economics, I would have probably been much happier. Um, and it really felt like it should be a college course. I mean, it's 20 hour on Audible. That's pretty much a college lecture if you go two times a week for 10 weeks. It would be a two credit course. Yeah. yeah. I made a two credit course right there. Yeah. So I think that was my big thing, just the sheer amount of numbers that he had to throw out there. I think he could have done the concepts. Well, there's a book that came better. with homework. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could have listened to this book. Wrote a you know a couple five page papers on it, and yeah, this definitely would have been a two two credit course. Absolutely, you'd wrote a five page paper for the first half and the five page paper for the second half. I should have done that. It's worth saying that. Um, I know. Did you get the PDF file? I did. I loved it. Okay, yeah, I grabbed it too, because um, like he mentions before, there's a lot of visual references in the book where he's like, look at you know column three or. Um, figure 13, you know, and you're like, wait, what? I'm listening to this. Oh, I'm activating power tools right now. I can't look yeah. at the PowerPoint. Let me, let me stop my lawnmower. And, yeah, I actually and pull didn't stop out. to look at any of them. I just listened through and I'm like, okay, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Next part. I, I tell you what, you should absolutely look at the Mueller liar, the one, the, the, the line at the fins. Just. I'm telling you. I did look it up. I have the physical copy of the book as well, and I. It's something that I've seen a million times before just because I like the psychology aspect. I like yeah. the different optical illusions ever since I was a kid. So I don't do a lot of optical illusions, and you know I'm willing to just go with uh, go with the flow, just try to see what my intuition says. It's kind of funny. Um, I'm actually really pessimistic about intuition, and, uh, and it's probably why I have a notorious reputation for framing everything in a negative way. <laughs> right? Focus. Which is probably why it's also fitting that you're the guy who picked this book. Yeah, who was like, let's do this book. Let's do this book. I actually chose this book, you know, now that you mention it. And yeah. I don't want to, because I do want to talk a little bit more about what she's saying here about yes. the economics. But um, I chose this book based on a economics podcast. I listen to an economics podcast called Freakonomics. It's really good. Um, it's not super hardcore econ heavy. It's actually, I, I think they should just fess up and call it a popular psychology podcast. It mostly deals with stuff like this where you um, make mistakes in your judgment and then they talk about that. They, they, they'll attack ideas like, you know, does the broken windows theory work? Um, which is this idea that, you know, if you just make things look nicer it reduces crime right yeah. and, and if the cities look like crap then there's lots of crime <laughs> right and they attack ideas like that right like whether or not it actually works and they had brought up this Kahneman guy many times in fact I found out that many of their episodes are pretty much jacked straight from this book <laughs> so so that's why I selected this book I really like their podcasts and um I'm into it. As far as the econ side of it goes, so your um, your specific criticism about the econ, 
I feel like... So you just didn't like it. Yeah, it's just a personal bias. It's just... I don't care about the numbers. I don't care about the economic side. I care more about the way that humans make decisions. And yes, that applies to economics. But he even talks about econs versus humans. Yeah, absolutely. In the econ world, it's all logical. It's all makes sense. You stop and use your system too all the time. You don't use intuition. But humans are not econs. And he even talks about them being separate species. And yeah. I, just, uh, I have to mention, there's a section in the book where he makes you do, like, a bunch of money things. And then, like, and then he would accuse you, like, so the econs did this. And, um, man, you know, okay, so, like, I'll fess up. I have multiple 200-level econ classes under my belt. And I've seen some of these problems before. They make us do them in class, even. <laughs> and uh, and so this guy's just being like, so for the humans, they probably were really didn't like how you might lose a bunch of money. But you econs were thinking, well, how many times are can I make this bet with you? <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was like, come on, man. No, that's just... That's just actually thinking it through. I'm not a freak. You're just not thinking about it. <laughs> right? They just... Don't blame me. Blame them. And, uh... I don't know. I I uh I can I can definitely agree with you that there was this like there's an econ angle in the book that um he actually well, you know where I would agree with you is he actually starts to get like kind of really political towards the end of the book trying to convince um the reader that a certain amount of uh paternalism oh yeah is good for society that that the governments should should try to use the various methods in this book um, to frame things a certain way, uh, sort of subtly manipulate you to do what you need to do, um, or to use the halo effect to get you to perhaps um, vote for a particular policy. Maybe not that bad, but to, you know, um, he gave an example about like blood donations in particular countries. Versus other ones and like how, you know, you can use opt-in or opt-out and, and that sort of thing. And this sort of um, this sort of method where, hey, you know, we can get you to do what's best for you because, you know, government as parent um, by, you know, subtly influencing you to do it. I don't know. That just felt a touch insidious to me <laughs> for him to make that as a recommendation. And for, you know, us, the, the layman reader, you know, he's trying to get you to buy in on that. So that econ side of the book, I was like, oh, I don't know. And see, I think that's the remembering effect for you. Because it's something that hit a note with you, whereas yeah. I just passed by it. It was yeah. maybe a chapter, maybe a couple paragraphs even. It was not very long, but it's something that hit with you that stuck. Yeah. So you're remembering it and judging the book based on something that was very short. It absolutely, because it hit near the end of the book, it absolutely made me, like, rethink everything that happened in the book. Like, I immediately yeah. was just, like, I stopped and was like, hold up, you have activated system two now. <laughs> you have been playing me this whole time like a fiddle, and now you want me to say it's good and I like it. And, uh, and, uh... I think it's it's really interesting. It, it did bother me, that econ side. You were just talking about something you disliked, and I was just like, yeah, I can share with that. I didn't like it. But I think what you're trying to say is you just didn't really like him explaining rational thinking. No, I like the rational thinking. I just don't like all the numbers. I think he could have done it without invoking System 2 so much, I guess. Yeah. He could be like, if he could just make me not, you know, like think deeply about the numbers actually i mean i'll just tell you what listening to it is a chore and i and i urge you if you haven't read the book i actually think you should read it it just it you'll have an easier time actually following along with his experiments um you won't have to pause the video or worry about like you know screwing something up with a power tool then or whatever <laughs> right because um because yeah it's it's almost impossible to follow some of these bets they start to get really complicated like you can do this on step three of the bet and such and such oh and, yeah and it's like he'll he'll offer he'll make one offer and then give examples of how and why you might have made the decision and then change the offer yeah and then slightly and then change do it. it again and again until you're like five different 
you know, you're five changes deep, and you're like, I don't even remember what the first situation was because I'm not really tracking all this. Yeah, I can't follow this anymore. And so, it sure sounds like my system too is lazy. I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. I felt like he really proved his point in the econ chapter. He's like, if you didn't believe me, yeah, you're just checking out right now. I wrote this chapter just to remind you of that. Right. <laughs> like. You know, you know, I don't know, maybe I should play it backwards and see if there's, like, you know, hidden satanic messages or something. He's fucking with me. <laughs> okay, so those are our uh, likes and dislikes, right? Yeah. So, uh, so uh, my overall impression of the book is I just saw it's, like, a great talking point. Like, if, I'll tell you what, just for party chit-chat, you, you know, you'll often just be reminded of things, like, just in your daily life. I mean, I was playing League of Legends the other day, and this character Jinx says... Of like, uh, she's talking about explosions. She's like, I don't even think about explosions. You just do it, and I was just like, that's some system one right there. Yeah. She just is automatic. You know, it's not <laughs> even on the table, and um, and it's. I think it's a great like party discussion book. You're gonna be able to like have some interesting uh, pop psychology conversations with your friends, and if they call bullshit. Um, the book is littered with experiments. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so you can actually be like, no, no, really. Yeah, I'm not definitely crazy. cites his sources, which is which is a good positive point for him. Yeah, which is amazing because so you you don't just sound like it's not like you just read something on Facebook, yeah. right? You actually um, can back up almost everything you've read from the book, which just feels great. It just feels excellent, and you know, it feels very credible and real. And so my final impression of the book is that yeah, it was long. It was pretty much a two credit course. And there and there were some there were some janky elements to it, especially if you listen to it. But overall, I felt that it was a pretty good book, and I'm glad I recommended it. How about you, Josh? Do you hate my recommendation? No, actually, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Like I said, I I definitely feel like I took a lot away from this to apply forward. Um, definitely got my noodle turning on some funny things. Like I was wondering what kind of study. Uh, results you'd get from seeing how the anchoring effect works with, say, Patreon. You know, oh, yeah. Like, if the YouTubers are making recommendations on donations, how what their number of recommendation recommended donation is affects what they're actually receiving from their donators. Oh, I just, I mean, I, I, this is exactly what I was just saying. Okay, so everything that happens in this book, it's going to make you want to talk about another thing, right? <laughs> so you just start brought up anchoring and, like, how price points affect things, right? Like, yeah. So in economics, it, there's kind of, like, this bizarre unsolved problem where, you know, like, how much do you really value that box of granola? Yeah. Right? Like, if there was no stickers out there, like, how much would you really pay for it? <laughs> like, if you knew there were, if you had no idea, you'd never seen anyone else price it. Like, what uh -huh. do you price it at? And, um, and there's all kinds of theories about how things get priced and, uh, and that sort of thing. But one of the things that immediately happens with anchoring is, like, well, so what are the other YouTubers pricing their patrons at? Right. And, uh, and so anchoring, especially with prices, happens all the time. Yeah. You know, do you really value gas at two and a half bucks? Well, I mean, even like the concepts that we've even covered so far in on the show is, is like a small portion of what's covered in the book. I mean, he talks a lot about like um, uh, negative and positive weight values. Yep. Um, there's a small part I remember that kind of stuck with me about um, planning fallacies. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> I remember oh, when he talked about the planning fallacy, I was, I was thinking, I would love to see, he offers like a solution against it, and I would love to see what that solution would do applied to Washington State's plan to tunnel under Lake Washington. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure there's some planning fallacies going on in there. <laughs> But, you know, he in the book, here's a funny part. He actually blasts himself at one point. He, he and his buddies make a plan, analyze whether or not it will work, see the numbers that it will probably not work. Uh-huh. Then they do it anyways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, he even talks about it. He just ignores the numbers. Nobody ever talked about it again. And it ended up taking much longer than they expected. And Never got finished. No, they finished theirs, but... It just took forever. It just took oh, forever. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it finished after he had even left the team. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah, he abandons he, he and abandons the project. And <laughs> they were not econs. In econ class, they tell you to, like, you know, if your leg gets caught in a bear trap, you cut that leg off. Right. That's what they teach you. So, so yeah, I'll tell you what. So, anyway, so 
You re- you liked the book. And I did. Overall, you felt it was okay. Yeah, overall, I enjoyed the title. And you, I'm allowed to recommend books too. In, in our classic book club fashion, we will spend a good hour tearing it apart to, to finish with, and I liked it. Yeah. It was okay. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think I'll read it again just to let some of the concepts sink in a little bit further. Um, and again, it's a lot of how does this apply to my life? How does this apply to people around me? And even in the book, he goes on, you know, arguments with his wife and he'll be like, no, you're using this fallacy. Stop it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what was funny is she, he even mentions how his own wife, you know, uses his own stuff against him. And then how he has to like counter, counter, there's like this whole metagame about their various <laughs> fallacies. And what I was like, wow. Uh, Oh, yeah, there Road trips of them must be there crazy. There was one of his speaking of sections that like hit so close to home when he was talking about um, a regret aversion or oh, loss yeah. aversion. He's like, we won't, I won't try any new items on a men- restaurant menu because of re- regret aversion. And I was just like, oh god, oh, yeah, god, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> I do that all the time. I don't want to regret <laughs> my thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really crazy. And and you know, um. It's another concept. Like I said, we are just skimming the surface here. Yeah. But he just talks about how you frequently will not um, go for something that could just be amazing. Right? You know, like maybe there's a 70% chance that you're going to really enjoy this meal and it could be the best meal you've ever had. But there's a 30% chance that you'll really regret it. <laughs> so you're not going to do it. Right? Right? And how you're own mind will probably very quickly frame the negative if it gets too high. So, um, I think we need to choose some books soon. So, yeah. Should we move on to the next part where we choose our next book for the month? Yeah, I need you to to roll some dice. Yes. Do you have die 20 here or something? I got a a d10 here. You can hear it clickety-clack. Alright. And uh, I think Alex and I are rolling to choose, yeah? Yes. I don't get to do a book anymore. Just to (laughs) be clear, are we sticking with our predetermined theme, which was... uh, I have a list of the books, but you you guys can choose whichever you want. You just get to let the the losers choose. Okay. Yeah. I'm rolling... I got a six. And I got a six. Ooh, it's high. <laughs> it's tense. Uh, two. No. And a seven. Okay, oh Alex wins. So Josh and I will have to choose between the books she offered up previously. Although I want to add one to the mix. All right, here we go. Okay. I'm going to read off the list that we made a long time ago. Yep. Your books were Annihilation, Seven Eyes, and beyond religion. Yep, and I'd also like to add Willpower Instinct because this Dan O'Connellman's book reminded me a lot about it, but it was more the practical side about it and how willpower can help, um, how you use willpower and what fails you with willpower. And they actually have a lot of studies in common, so. All right. So, so what's Annihilation about? I don't remember actually. <laughs> She's it's like, fiction. <laughs> it's fiction. And, uh, Seven Eyes is also fiction, although that is, I believe that was the one that's set on a different planet and pretty much lost tons of research teams. Um, and now they're going in trying to figure out why they keep losing research teams. Okay, and then Beyond Religion? Was the Dalai Lama. Um, and talking about different religions and science and true Dalai Lama fashion, if you've ever read any of the other books. I have not, so I'm actually very intrigued. I have to admit that it's kind of my pick here. Josh, what what are you leaning towards? I'll be honest, I'm also leaning towards Beyond Religion. Um, it's a book I know that my both my parents read and had some interesting opinions on. Oh. And um, I think it would kind of be an interesting... Um, an interesting sort of change of direction from the last book. Um, we could probably take some of what we learned from this book and then apply it to what is said in, in the next one. But she added a book to a mix, so I, I, I want to give her um, uh, last second survival mode, try to, try to really sell us on willpower and instinct. Why should we choose that instead of Beyond Religion? Um, you shouldn't. 
I think it was just a very good tie-in to Thinking Fast and Slow. It's by a Princeton author who actually teaches a class and she talks about the class moved like three times because so many people started joining and it goes into, you know, how to quit smoking and why the reasons why we don't and the reasons why exercise is so hard and thinking beyond your choices to figure out what actually makes you happy and how you can actually change things. Hmm. She goes into willpower and won't power on... Won't power. Yeah, trying not to do something instead of trying to do something. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Don't eat the Twinkie or um, go exercise. Yes. Okay. Ah. Interesting. It kind of depends whether you want to keep exploring this topic or have a different change of pace like Josh said. Mm. I think I'm still tempted to stick with my original. Mm. I, I was swayed. It was the dope oh. power. I'm, I'm torn. But I have to make a decision here and now. There are future episodes. There are more. So you know what I'm going to do? I have a time-honored method of making decisions, oh. and it has nothing to do with System 1 or System 2. He got left out of the dice rolling, so he's got to play with yeah. it now. Yeah, Here's the I other gotta... thing. I've read Willpower Instinct, I think, three times now that I've liked it so much. So, yes, I've read it, which kind of uh, defeats no, the now, purpose uh, uh, I know. You've, you've not, now we to have to you. do Beyond Religion. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be Beyond Religion. <laughs> <laughs> So, if you want to join us for next month's episode, go ahead and join us in reading Beyond Religion by the Dalai Lama. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, the hosts again have been Josh. Garner. Alex. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Choo-choo. Oh, yeah, watch. This is a pan train. That's a good show, too. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed. Sound effects provided by the F Sound Band, and music provided by Ben Sound. Why not tell us what you thought of our review in the comments? And join us next time on... Book Bash! <laughs>